just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Medical concepts and practices do change rapidly. For example, in antiquity, historically, a pregnant woman was pretty much kept on bed rest regardless of any medical complications. She was confined to bed. That's where the term EDC, or estimated date of confinement, originally came from. Of course, that term has now been replaced with the EDD, or the estimated due date. Physical inactivity is the fourth leading risk factor for early mortality worldwide. And in pregnancy, physical inactivity and excessive weight gain have been recognized as independent risk factors for maternal obesity and related pregnancy complications, like gestational diabetes. Concerns that regular physical activity during pregnancy may cause miscarriage or poor fetal growth or musculoskeletal injury or premature delivery have not been substantiated for women with uncomplicated pregnancies. So in this podcast, we're going to cover ACOG's committee opinion number 804 dealing with physical activity and exercise during pregnancy and the postpartum period because some old concepts are just that old concepts. So let's cover this from April 2020 now. The American College of Sports Medicine has issued evidence-based recommendations indicating that the beneficial effects of exercise in most adults are indisputable and that the benefits far outweigh any of the risks. The 2018 update to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Physical Activity Guidelines for Americans reinforces the prior recommendations of at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity per week during pregnancy and the postpartum period. So that's a clinical pearl. It's 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity per week during pregnancy and the postpartum period. But of course, this activity should be spread out throughout the week. Remember, most pregnant patients can exercise. There are only a few maternal medical conditions in which aerobic exercise is absolutely contraindicated. According to the college, examples of exercises that have been extensively studied in pregnancy and found to be safe and beneficial include walking, using a stationary bike, aerobic exercises, dancing, resistance exercises like using weights or elastic bands, stretching exercises, hydrotherapy, or water aerobics. Now, here's a change from something that I learned when I was a resident. When I was a resident, I remember cautioning pregnant patients not to jog because they could sustain a musculoskeletal injury. But that's actually not true. According to the college, although an upper level of safe exercise intensity has not been well established, women who use regular exercise before pregnancy and who have uncomplicated healthy gestations should be able to engage in high-intensity exercise programs even jogging and aerobics with no adverse effects in pregnancy. Again, the fears of musculoskeletal injury are just not substantiated. High intensity or prolonged exercise in excess of 45 minutes, though, can lead to hypoglycemia. So adequate caloric intake before exercise or limiting the intensity or length of the exercise session can be essential to minimize risk.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, a quick word about the fetal response to maternal exercise. I mean, what goes on with the kid in there when the mother is exercising? Well, most of the studies addressing fetal response to maternal exercise have actually focused on fetal heart rate changes and birth weight. Studies have demonstrated minimum to moderate increase in the fetal heart rate by about 10 to 30 beats per minute over the baseline during or just after exercise. Three meta-analyses concluded that the difference in birth weight were minimal to none in women who exercised during pregnancy compared with controls. So the fear, again, that you're going to cause IUGR is just not really evidence-based. Women, however, who continued to exercise vigorously during the third trimester were, in fact, more likely to deliver infants who weighed about 200 to 400 grams less than comparative controls. However, this was not a pathological change because there was no increased risk of fetal growth restriction. So more data, however, are still needed from athletes who exert beyond the accepted, quote, vigorous definition of up to 85% of capacity. And it's possible that there could be an absolute level of intensity or duration or both that exists and if exceeded could place the fetus at risk. So an individualized exercise plan is important to review with each patient, especially those that are vigorous athletes, to make sure that a good thing doesn't become excessive. Now that we've covered the fetal response to exercise, what are the overall benefits of exercise in pregnancy? Well, observational studies of women who exercise during gestation have shown benefits like decreased gestational diabetes, decreased risk of cesarean birth, and decreased risk of operative vaginal delivery. It's also shown improved postpartum recovery time. Physical activity can also be an essential factor in the prevention of depressive disorders in women in the postpartum period. So that's a huge advantage. A 2017 systematic review and meta-analysis showed a significant reduced risk of gestational hypertensive disorders and cesarean birth in women who performed aerobic exercise from 30 to 60 minutes, anywhere from 2 to 7 times per week, compared to women that were more sedentary. Studies have shown that exercise during pregnancy can lower glucose levels in women with GDM or help prevent preeclampsia. All right, so I think I need to say that again because that's kind of counterintuitive. The idea, right, traditionally was that bed rest was better for hypertensive disorders because somehow physical activity would aggravate blood pressure. But remember, bed rest has gone out the window because that's actually more harmful than physical activity. And there's no data that physical activity makes blood pressure worse. Again, according to that 2017 systematic review, regular aerobic exercise during pregnancy actually helped reduce the risk of preeclampsia. A 2019 systematic review and meta-analysis also found that in mothers with pre-gestational medical conditions, including chronic hypertension and pre-existing diabetes, 
prenatal exercise reduced the odds of cesarean birth by 55% and did not increase the risk of adverse maternal or neonatal outcomes. All right, but we do need to give a cautionary note here. Although this information is reassuring that exercise in pregnant women with pre-existing medical conditions can be done safely, it's important to have a detailed discussion first and part of a counseling session to make sure that the exercise program that's being being done is appropriate for the patient's weight, exercise ability, and past history. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, as we wrap up this brief summary of this new committee opinion from April 2020, let's talk about prescribing an individualized exercise program to patients. An exercise program that leads to an eventual goal of moderate intensity exercise for at least 20 to 30 minutes per day on most or all days of the week should be developed with the patient and adjusted as medically indicated. So that's a clinical pearl. If you're taking your oral boards, they always ask about physical activity in pregnancy, so that's the recommendation. The goal is to reach an eventual peak of 20 to 30 minutes per day on most or all days of the week according to the patient's medical ability. Now, a good way to make sure that the patient's not getting overstressed or overworked out during inactivity is to use the TALK test. The TALK test is another way to measure exertion. As long as a woman can carry on a conversation while exercising, she is likely not overexerting herself. Women should also be advised to remain well hydrated and avoid long periods of lying flat on their backs, and they should stop exercising if they have any of the following warning signs. Vaginal bleeding, abdominal pain, regular and painful contractions, amniotic fluid leakage, dyspnea before exertion, dizziness, headache, or of course, chest pain. Before we end, we have to dispel the myth that physical activity can actually cause preterm birth. Now remember, although physical activity and dehydration in pregnancy have been associated with a small increase in uterine contractions, a 2016 systematic review and meta-analysis in normal weight pregnant women with singleton uncomplicated gestations found that exercise for 35 to 90 minutes, three to four times per week, was not associated with an increased risk of preterm birth or with a reduction in mean gestational age at delivery. So in other words, while it's true that physical activity and some amount of dehydration can cause contractions, it's probably not enough to lead to true preterm birth. All right, another myth is that exercise in the postpartum period should be avoided because it will reduce milk supply. Well, that's a terrible thing to say. Several reports indicate that women's level of participation in exercise diminish after childbirth, frequently leading to overweight and obesity status. The postpartum period is an opportune time for OBGYNs and other women's healthcare providers to recommend and reinforce a healthy lifestyle now that the pregnancy is over. 
regular aerobic exercise in lactating women has been shown to improve maternal cardiovascular fitness without affecting milk production, composition, or infant growth. Now, women who are lactating should consider feeding their infants or expressing milk before exercise to avoid discomfort of engorged breasts or potential some letdown reflex. And they should also ensure adequate hydration before commencing physical activity. Another advantage to postpartum exercise is that abdominal strengthening exercises, including abdominal crunch exercises and the drawing in exercise, which is a maneuver that increases abdominal pressure by pulling in the abdominal wall muscles, have been shown to decrease the incidence of diastasis recti abdominis and decrease the inner rectus distance in women who gave birth vaginally or by C-section. Also, pelvic floor exercises can be initiated in the immediate postpartum period that can also help the woman regain some pelvic tone. We've summarized ACOG Committee Opinion number 804 from April 2020 on physical activity and exercise during pregnancy in the postpartum period. Look, some of the things that I learned have now been changed. Like, you can't jog during pregnancy. Well, sure you can. And I learned that you couldn't exercise if you had hypertension as a pre-existing medical condition. But as we've covered, that's probably not true either. And I even learned, I remember as an intern, telling women not to exercise vigorously postpartum because it could reduce milk supply. That's not true. This is why it's always important to stay evidence-based and current on literature and data. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.